it's Hector, co-host of the Pocket Pulpit Podcast. Hey, just before we get into this week's show, I wanted to give you a little update. We're now available in the Apple Podcast Directory. And so if you've been looking for us there and haven't been able to find us, we are available there now. Fire up your app, search Pocket Pulpit, add us to your library, subscribe there. And hey, if you're in the Apple Podcast app, why don't you leave us a rating and a review and that'll help us uh, just spread this message of, of exploring what social media ministry is and can be and who can do it and how people are doing it. And hey, maybe we'll inspire others to start thinking about and doing and being the hands and feet of Jesus in this online digital space. Hey, thanks so much. Just wanted to give you that update. And so let's get to this week's episode. See you in a bit. It's not to say that, that that confidence is devoid of any sense of morality, but it, it is to say that, like, no, there are going to be people who do not have your best interest in mind, who who are determined to present you a certain way because you disagree with them on some things. But um, my goal is, is to create a world for my children and by extension, everyone else where no, like I, I can be strong on this without disrespecting you. Like you might feel offended at times, but I, but I can be strong here uh, because I'm allowed to believe just as much as you're allowed to believe. Welcome again to the Pocket Pulpit Podcast. My name is Hector, and I'm here with my co-host, Sarah. Hey, hey. Hi, Sarah. And today we're here with our friend, Trey. Hey, Trey. What's happening, man? What's going on, man? Hey, Um, life is happening, bro. That's it. That's good. That's good, man. I'm I'm glad. Uh, It's always always a trip to me because I'm on the West Coast, so it's like 945 right now. And so I'm always like, oh, my day's just getting started. But like, how's your day going? It's is um yeah, like I, I was mentioning before before uh we hit the little record button, but I've I've been alive for a little over sixteen hundred Fridays, um, and this 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 doesn't rank in the top fifty, like definitely probably not in the top hundred or two hundred of them. But you know what? I'm alive and I'm employed, and that's got to count for something. And 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 uh yeah. That's, that's it. So I, ain't, I ain't gonna lie to you, but we 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 all right out here, you know. We living. Yeah. That's better than the alternative. True. That's right. True. I like that it's nine forty five on the west coast, but it's one o five here on the east coast. So Hector's actually an extra twenty minutes behind. The- <laughs> I do what I want. <laughs> I believe it. Time is a social construct. I appreciate that. Hector. You do what you want to do. You don't hey, let nobody look. tell you what time it is. You tell. <laughs> You tell Tom what time it is. You understand? Like, I want to be like you when I grow up. That's the type of authority I want to wield. Yeah, <laughs> me too. Everybody wants to be Hector when they grow up. Yeah, so, for sure. Well, okay. So if anybody has missed who you are, you're a pastor. You're the one of the co-hosts of Three Black Men Podcast Theology, Culture, and the World Around Us. And you are the host of Living Translation. Yeah. Who else are you? Um, I am a husband of one wife, a father of three children, two daughters, one son, to be specific. I am a tortured 
Miami Hurricanes fan at the moment, because they are not good, ungood, <laughs> anti-counter good, this good. Um, <laughs> all of those things. I, I, uh, I am a, and uh, depending on who you ask, I, I would say aspiring writer. Some people would say, uh, I'll be writing stuff sometimes. It's cool. I like, I like creating stuff whatever that means, uh, whether, whether that's writing sermons or blog posts, uh, tweet threads. Cause I do, I do view Twitter as an art form of sorts. And then a lot of people don't respect it, but like, yeah, it's, it's crap in that mess. I like creating things that uh, make people think and bring people joy uh, that draw them closer to the creator of heaven and earth uh, that points them towards the son of God and the God that he points people towards. And I, uh, yeah, I think that's about it, man. I'm, I'm, I, try, I try to love people. Yeah. So um, what platforms are you on and what's your preferred platform? I am on Twitter and Instagram. I dabble in TikTok, but I, that's, that's, that's a young man's game. Um, <laughs> I, I'm technically on most of the platforms. I don't use most of them. My, my handle is the same across all of them, past the trail five, it's zero in the middle. Um, and my my preferred platform, the, the platform I'm mainly on is is Twitter, um, just because I afford the versatility it offers me in terms of using text, uh, using videos if I ever wanted to, and all those different things. Um, and like Instagram, I'm, I'm on there, but I, I can never, I can't crack the code entirely. I'll be trying every now and then, swinging and missing. But uh, Twitter just feels safe for me. It's 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 a uh, home for me. It's where I feel the most in community with other people. That makes any sense. Mm-hmm. What, what am I saying? I know it makes sense. Yeah, it makes sense. <laughs> well, so one of the things that we know, um, just with with Twitter's words, and so um, oh wait, Paul, you know, sorry, sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt. Oh, you. I do want to say oh, this because you asked what platforms are. I'm technically on Facebook, but I wanted to like be very clear on the record. Facebook is the worst place on earth. Sorry, <laughs> go ahead. <laughs> I wonder what do you, you say? It's the bad place. I it's heard the you bad. It's the bad worst. Yeah. You, you said you wanted me to elaborate on that? No. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah. No, no I don't need to. No. Okay. Be careful because it'll be the whole episode is, you yeah. know, Facebook is the bad place. It's the word. Yeah. And I wanted to say that like both pastorally and, and non-pastorally in every capacity in which I could possibly stand in. I wanted, I wanted somebody to hear that Facebook is the bad place. Like, like if hell is just going to be you reading uncle jim bob's facebook post with with ted cruz trying to agree with you wherever you stand at. Oh. Sorry. um go ahead i don't need you to take that out but if y'all need to take that out for your audience no. you're more than welcome no no, right. we're gonna, <laughs> no we're gonna we're gonna it's hard to go. find people who are um i was i'm surprised to find how hard it's been for us to find people who are trying to use facebook for as a ministry space it is difficult yeah. They make it hard. I'll tell you that. Yeah. The funniest thing is it. Okay. So naturally speaking, the way the, and I'm sorry, cause I cut you off mid sentence Hector and oh, it derailed and I didn't mean to do that, but um, Facebook as, as designed, like if you take away all of the financial incentives and all of the manipulation that goes away, it is the social media platform that is actually best designed for doing community and, and, doing conducting ministry like that that i don't even think that's that's a hot take or controversial like the the actual tools and things that make facebook what it is in terms of networking in terms of being able to house groups and being able to have uh front-facing pages as well as uh 
groups that you could do a little more curating in and stuff like that. It, it, it ought to lend itself, but it's so much filth and nonsense. You got to dig through that. It's almost not even worth it. And I say almost because um I, I, I still I still believe that uh in a guy who was capable of redeeming even in the worst, darkest, stinkiest, memeiest corners of the world. Come on. Only do it. Only will. Yeah. <laughs> Well, hey, so, uh, Trey, on, on your podcast, uh, you say this thing, you start out each of your, and I should be specific, on the New Translation podcast. Uh, you start out each episode with, This guy speaks my language, too, and I'm sure enough about to act like it. Let's go. Again, this opens up every every podcast on that, uh, or every episode, sorry. And so I want to hear how you came to that place of recognizing that you can speak specifically communicate with God in your own language and how or what that has changed for you. Yeah. So that realization and that, that action happens on a couple of different levels for me. Right. Like as somebody who is both a student, like a literal academician of, of, of sorts, like an actual student of, of the Bible um, and, and working with things and wrestling with things and recognizing that what we recognize as the birth of the church, right? Pentecost, the miracle was that people were empowered to speak in new languages that they had not yet known and that they communicated the good news, this story of this man, Jesus Christ in languages that they didn't know so that people across the nations might be drawn to that God um, that, that, that's really what the miracle of the church is. And if we're not able to communicate God's truths in languages that people can understand, then we have left our mission. Like we, we, we've been unfaithful to the God that we claim to proclaim, right? So that, that's one level. But then the other level is on, on a more personal note, because I found myself particularly like as a, as a black man who's grown up in, in mostly black areas, but like had the uh, opportunity. I don't want to make it seem like, when I say opportunity, I, I mean, I had the, the chance to do so, not to say that it was necessarily inherently better, but I got to go to, to schools that a lot of people consider good, right? And what that often means is that more white people go there. So um, entering into these spaces, I felt like I had to learn how to speak a different language, how to present myself differently. And that eventually crept into my theology and my theopraxy and how I did things, right? I, I I grew up in the Black church tradition, but when it came time to go to seminary, at first I was immersed in this white evangelical world that was so foreign to me, but it only felt foreign when I traced myself back to my roots, right? Like when I'm in there, everything seems right. It seems like a better way. And then there was a point where I had to reckon with, okay, like why do I feel like this is the right way as opposed to just a different way? Right. How would it work if these two worlds interacted, if there was dialogue, right? Like if it was a dialectical process where my tradition and everything that I had known helped inform that of my colleagues as well, as opposed to just the, the one way street where it's like, no, everything you knew before was wrong or deficient somehow, as opposed to just different. Um, and so I started doing this little thing on on Twitter where every now and then where I would uh 
uh, just paraphrase the scripture, right? Like in, in my vernacular and, and somebody was like, oh man, this translation is dope. And I was like, you know what? You might be on to something. And then uh, it was actually Rob from Three Black Men who had kind of challenged me and, and Sam to like branch out and do more creation stuff. And then like the moment he said it, I didn't even have to think about it. And I was like, I know what I want to do. Like I want to make this a podcast where I just take scriptures and walk through them. And um, it's been really helpful for me because um, of course, like this is something I naturally do. Like what, what is really going on in the scripture when I'm reading this is my, my own practice, but in rehearsing that and making it so that um, I, I'm making sure I can communicate and share that with other people, I'm re-familiarizing myself with the, these scriptures that we all share together as sacred, right? Um, and it's something that even if my vernacular is not the same as yours, it's a liberating act. And that like, whoa, I didn't know you can do this. <laughs> like, I didn't know that was allowed. And there's some yeah. people who might find the defensive truth be told. Like, you don't mess with scripture like that. And, and God bless you. The Lord be with you. May he keep you far away from me. Um, because at the same, like, we, we, we ought to be able to, to draw some connections. Because at the end of the day, these scriptures don't belong to us. Like, yeah, we, we, we get to share in these things, but this belongs to a very real people at a very real time. And the stories that have been shared with us Right. Um, and for me, when I when I make it uh, something that, that that does seem more personal, able to connect with it, 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 it helps me personally to connect with the fact like, whoa, no, this, these stories meant something to, to these people when I make it mean something more to me, if I'm making sense right now. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Well, and like I had a friend, uh, Alex Long, I met him on Twitter as well and, and have gracefully or been graced with his presence, you know, just been able to meet with him in person. And one of the things that he said in conversation about like Bible translations and, and kind of the, the idea that like word for word, like is really hard because it's not faithful to actually communicating when, like, if you can communicate the ideas, it's actually right. more faithful to both parties yes. of here is the original language and now I want to communicate those ideas as close as I can in the new uh, language or the new uh, group of people. And like, if I can't communicate that in a way that you can understand, then I'm not communicating, you know, and I'm exactly. not being faithful to those ideas. And so it just reminded me of that as you sharing. So. And that's a very important point because there's, there's like a lot of people know, and I don't want to assume anybody's knowledge base or anything, but there's like three main schools of thought when it comes to Bible translation, right? There's the formal equivalency, the word for word, like you just spoke of things like King James, New King James. Then you have the dynamic equivalent, which is thought for thought, right? And then you have paraphrases altogether. Now there's people who, one of my favorite translations of the Bible is actually the New Living Translation, right? Um, which some people claim is a paraphrase. It's actually, a, 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 in my estimation, a dynamic equivalent. It's a thought for thought translation. Um, and I like it because it seems a lot more natural. Problem with a word for word translation is even right now. Okay, if I were to say to one of my one of my friends right now, like, "Yo, I ain't seen you in a minute." If you sit there and translate that word for word to another language, it's not gonna make sense. Like, a minute? That's not that long. You haven't seen him in sixty seconds. No, but if you are in my context, you understand. What I'm saying like, "Oh, wow, I haven't seen you in a long time." So even little idioms like that, like you recognize, and that's why for me it's important to connect these stories to a people because what it meant to them. It's not going to be the same as what it meant to me. Like even right now, like <laughs> if I if I were to say to one of my friends, like "Yo, you green," that would sound entirely insane. If you if you took that, even you don't even have to translate it to another language. If you moved it to 
15 miles up the road and in, into another type of neighborhood, that phrase would not make any sense, divorced from the people that it was shared with. You know, um, so yeah, a lot of it for me is about making the Bible something that can connect with a people. Yeah. At the uh, first time I listened, I I told you like this is really good. And I told you it was usable. I have a friend who, who is um, a younger friend who like speaks more like you would hear on the on the podcast, and he has not been able to hear the Bible spoken like that. Mm. And so like, he's not in a place where he can listen to podcasts right now, but like, as they just keep building up, I keep thinking about um, when he's, when he can listen to him, like the conversations we'll be able to have because he'll be able to understand. It's, it's one thing to translate something from English to Spanish or English to whatever language, but it's, it's another thing to, to make the word understood. Right. Right. Yeah. That's, that's one thing, even like, I like that, the, the, the English Spanish comparison right there, because like, okay, so I live in Miami, Day County, right? It's, um, I don't, I don't know the exact numbers, but there, there are entire cities within Miami, Day County, where if you don't speak Spanish, you just can't get it. Like I'm if I go to Hialeah right now, like I, if I don't speak Spanish, you, you're done for it. So there's three main languages spoken in Miami, Day County. There's English, Spanish, and Creole, Haitian Creole, right? Um, and it's funny when you encounter people who are multilingual down here and they try to switch back and forth, it's often a struggle for them because they'll know how to speak fluently in both languages, but connecting like, wait, I don't know how to say this part in English because this phrase, if I translate it, it's not going to make sense. Like even little Spanish idioms. like I, I, it, it, And they'll say like, okay, this is what it means literally. And I'm like, that did not help at all. Like, what are you trying to communicate? And then they'll have to think of an entirely new way to communicate the same thought because a lot of times word for word, it's not gonna work <laughs> like look, i need to words are just our best attempt at sharing the thoughts in our head right so you taking that best attempt at sharing a thought and then translating it into a whole nother language you a lot of times you're gonna lose that whole thought it's better if can we share this thought and, I, and i'll try to help you craft it in this language i can understand mm. oh, okay yeah that makes sense you know yeah mm, that's so good i told my friend once i said he was telling me something and his first language is, is spanish and and I said that he was telling me a story. And I was like, that's baloney. And that derailed the rest of the conversation. <laughs> like, why, why baloney? Yeah. What, why are you talking about like, what, what just happened? Yeah. It's, 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 uh, it's, it's fun. Language is funny like that. And, and even play. Okay. So I'm actually terrible at languages in general, but like I live in Miami. I only speak one language. I spent a couple of weeks in Argentina. I got pretty decent in Spanish. I came back to America. I forgot all that stuff. Like I'm bad. Even when it comes to biblical languages, I, I need all the help in the world when I'm wrestling with stuff. I'm just not a natural at it. And part of the reason is, well, there's, there's a whole lot of reasons, but I, I often get, lost in the woods when I'm looking at what a language actually communicates about a people that's so fascinating to me and I get so sidetracked that I can't even focus on learning the language no more so like if you go to a lot of Middle Eastern cultures um there's only one word for pig right like it'll just be pig because they don't eat a lot of that stuff <laughs> they, 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 there's no need for the new if you come here we got pig we got ham we got pork we got uh <laughs> pork chop like all, all these different words to describe the same animal because it's a much bigger part of our culture and there's a strong correlation between culture and language that a lot of times we forget so even people who are real sticklers for using certain bible translations without 
um, acknowledgement or consideration of the culture in which they are, it, it's kind of tough to faithfully minister because the the link between culture and language is so strong that if you fail to find or speak in a way that that ministers to a culture, then you're not really doing ministry at that point. You're doing assimilation, which is not good in my opinion, yeah. at least. Yeah. Mine too. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, well, and, and so in that that thought process or that thought train, when if people follow you, they're going, I think they'll, they'll see that you're very intentional about bringing diverse community around you and, and trying to help build that, um, but not at the expense of your voice or the voices of others like you. So I've seen people, they try to make, right, they build communities or they're trying to build communities but those communities fail because they ask people to check who they are at the door. Yeah. Right. And so exactly what you're talking about, assimilation versus ministry versus serving needs versus letting people show up as they are. Um, and so have you, have you experienced this like in more of less so of like, you know, a generality, but more so in your circles or, or ministry that you've been involved with and what has that taught you? Yeah, um, I think and let me make sure I'm understanding your question here. Just yeah. just with regards to like entering spaces that that do expect you to uh, check yourself at the door, or, or what that tension yeah. is like in terms of how I arrived at a place of being intentional of, of, of not doing that. Yeah, 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 okay. yeah. Thanks for yeah. asking my question way better than I did. So, <laughs> <laughs> no, nah, cool. I just wanted to make sure because uh, every now and then I get a little wordy and I don't want to uh, misstep, go out of bounds, yeah. or whatever. But yeah, no, it's, it's, it's absolutely happened. Um, and it's, it's why, like uh, every now and then I have well-meaning people. And I don't think any any worse than nobody for, for asking questions like these. Well, uh, like somebody will ask me, um, some, some, okay, for instance, uh, recently somebody reached out to me and asked about like, yo, I, I wanted to visit like black churches, but I don't know how to do it. Like, do you have any advice? And I told them straight up, I was like, I don't even know how to answer that question because I've never thought to ask anything similar, right? Like nobody ever gave me tutorials or no white people at least gave me tutorials or crash courses when I had to enter into white spaces. I just had to enter by trial and error. And at one point I tried to blend in and it quickly became apparent to me that that was impossible because I'm still black. Like, no matter how I talk, if I, if I put on my nice voice and, and talk to you like this, like, no, you're going to notice I'm different. <laughs> you understand? Like, yeah. is a, a big giveaway. Um, And just the fact that after a while I had to wrestle with it and and, and it's kind of dehumanizing when, like, we, we feel like we got to study a people in order to do community with them. And that's not, I think for me, the key came when I was able to acknowledge differences in a way that celebrated them, right? Like I can acknowledge like, yo, you and I are fundamentally different in some key ways. And that's not a problem. I can learn that the world is bigger than what I previously knew through being in community with you. And you can learn that the world is bigger than you previously knew through being in community with me. You understand? And 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 I feel like that's where a lot of, you know, the, the high word just be racial reconciliation, you know, um, that's where a lot of that comes in when we can celebrate differences as opposed to looking for differences to have at the table. A lot of people want symbolic difference. They want they want a, a table where people of different ethnicities or races can gather, but still somehow be the same. Like they want to from the inside out, start erasing those differences. So we still look different, 
but we all like the same internally. And I think that's kind of a disservice. I think it's only in embracing the fullness of a lot of those differences that we can truly celebrate the diversity that God created. You know, um, a lot of people like to use that one little scripture, like in Christ, there's neither Jew nor Greek nor male nor female. And I was like, yeah, I don't like how you use that just now, because the, the context of that was talking to a specific Jewish community where people who were not Jewish were being mistreated. Right. So it was like you check yourself, your privilege at the door when you come in here, because you are you're doing community wrong unworthily you are partaking communion unworthily when you do this because you are that's not to say like if if that were the case he wouldn't have enumerated all all all, all of the, the 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 differences if, if they weren't worth celebrating to some extent like in christ we don't have all those hierarchies that we've assigned to those different labels so all of that to say um there was once upon a time where i liked to and and um it's still the default today where I, I, I try to participate in these things where when I go and when in Rome, do as the Romans do. And I'm like, wow, that would make Rome a really boring place. Um, and, and so it, for me, it became intentional and no, I'm going to bring me to the table and me is capable of learning. Me is capable of adapting. Me is capable of expanding what I've known and how I behave as a result of what I know without becoming something that is inauthentic to me. <laughs> if that makes sense. And that's something that I encourage lots of people to do. Like, you don't have to put on a black scent when you come around me or come to my church because we're going to smell that's not authentic. I'm like, that's not you. I don't like that. Um, and that's something, and the funny thing is, so if I, if I put on, uh, there's no equivalent to a black scent for, for black people who talk white. They just call it talking white. But if I do that, like white people in general won't say like, oh, he's not being inauthentic unless they want to insult me when it comes to like street cred or whatever. Then, but like nobody's going to say like, oh, uh, look at him pretending to be white. Like, no, that's often what is expected of us if we want to advance. And after a while, um, and sometimes it comes at my expense, but I say like, I'm not going to play that game. Like that's that's corny. Like I don't, if if that's what it takes to get success, then I don't want that, that kind of success. Like I need to redefine yeah. what success looks like for me. Um, and if community cannot happen with full authenticity, then I don't want this type of community. Yeah. Did I answer your question? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Yeah. Also, I mean, oh, go ahead, Sarah. No, you go ahead. Well, I was just going to say, like, I think part of it too is like being able to ask a question and then just, that's just going to be a framework, right? For where we're going. And actually it kind of, I think inside of, of the conversation we're having, like there's room and there's a place for like direct question. Like, this is the question I'm asking, but then there's also the like, well, here's the question as I, I receive it. Right. And I'm interpreting it. And you talk about interpretation. That's the whole, one of the main points of your podcast, right. Is interpretation. And so like, then that question is really more of like, here is this general area. Let's have a conversation inside the, the, the rail, right? The guide rails. And so, yeah, for sure. Yeah. Anyway, that's just a side note, but uh, Sarah, what were, what were you going to say? Well, I, you know, um, well, I did hear Trey said he's not good at languages, which is, is funny because when I think about Trey, I think of someone who I would say that like you have the gift of tongues, like you speak in a way that is, makes the word of God understood. Wow. I appreciate that. And so like when I, when I was thinking about about that when I think about you and and how I would see that as as a gifting of yours like I 
I thought about where it talks about um, and the way that you interact on social media. I thought about the the part in First Corinthians where it talks about order and worship. Mm. So in First Corinthians fourteen, it says, "Now, brothers and sisters, if I come to you and speak in tongues." What good will I be to you unless I bring you some revelation or knowledge or prophecy or word of instruction, even in the case of lifeless things that make sounds such as the pipe or harp, how will anyone know what tune is being played unless there is distinction in the notes? Again, if the trumpet does not sound a clear call, who will get ready for battle? So it is with you. Unless you speak intelligible words with your tongue, how will anyone know what you are saying? You'll just be speaking into the air. And I watch, I've watched you interact with people who will try to trip you up with language. I think that this, this can be a common experience for people who are on social media, who are having conversations that we get caught up in language. And it's, it was common for Jesus. I mean, people were trying to trip up Jesus all the time and Jesus would just step, they'd stick their foot out to trip him out and he'd just step over their foot. He was like, I'm not falling over that. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And and it can feel like the advice you get as a Christian is no, if somebody trips you up, just just fall down, you know, but yeah. no, just step over their foot. Right. I'm not your foot's out, man. Can you right. move? Your foot? You know? And so when I see you interact that way and you you avoid that trip up and you you say, let here's what we're trying to talk about. And I'm not gonna parse through. 70 different definitions of the word, um, whatever. We're just going to talk about what we're going to talk about or we're not going to talk about it. Yeah. Um, like that is really, it's, it's, a, it's a powerful example. So it, can you talk a little bit about when you find yourself in those situations, do you intentionally like follow this? I'm, I see the foot and I'm stepping over it and this is how we're going to do it. Or is that just kind of naturally who you are? And then how do you, work that out? Yeah, that's that's a good question, actually. Um, I think if you ask my wife right now, like if my wife listening to this podcast, that particular session, she'd be rolling her eyes um, because my wife hates when we argue. She she calls she calls it, she says I'm talking in circles um, because like my brain defaults to working in that, in that place. Like, wait, no, this is what we were saying. Like, how do we get from here to there? And so part of it is just naturally like the way that God put me together, like no, things need to be ordered in this way if we're going to have this dialogue as how it has to happen, which is not, if you're listening to this right now, it's not a positive trait to bring it to, to your marital thing. I'm, I'm not bragging <laughs> on myself right now. That is a liability. So don't do that. It's a, uh, but at the same token, uh, you were just referring to um, how Jesus gives, I, I call them honor contests, right? Like people challenge him publicly and, and try to trip him up. Like I was reading earlier in Matthew 22, uh, when the disciples, not the disciples, I'm sorry, when it says the Pharisees, the religious leaders came up to him and tried to trip him up the tax question, right? That's where we get the uh, render unto Caesar, what is Caesar's? And um, a lot of times, yeah, Jesus recognized, he was able to, to spot from a mile away when the trap was coming. Um, one of the first, if not the first episodes of the Three Black Men contest was actually about, oh, I'm sorry, the Three Black Men podcast. I don't know why I say contest. We're just talking about honor contest. I got my wires <laughs> crossed. Uh, but one of the first episodes was entitled Benefit of the Doubt. And it talks about us navigating spaces where a lot of times we're trained that to be civil means that I automatically assume the best of everyone. And that's not biblical. 
<laughs> whatever the word biblical means to you. Like you, you that's not a concept that is inherently declared good in the Bible. Matter of fact, the Bible tells us to be uh to, to be as as, as uh, shrewd or as wide as serpents and as harmless as doves. So a lot of it comes with the fact that, no, I don't automatically assume that everybody has the best intentions. I don't I don't grant everybody the benefit of the doubt. And saying because a lot of people are like, oh, are, are we not open for dialogue? Like, oh, yeah, we can have dialogue. It's just not always going to happen on your terms. Because a lot of what assimilation requires is for one person to decide and it's usually the same type of person um, to decide the parameters of dialogue and how something will go, right? So sometimes it's a matter of me making a mental decision of, of asserting my humanity and saying like, no, you you don't get to, to paint me this way unless I decide to, right? Like somebody took a tweet of mine and quoted it and says, oh, this is not a criticism. I'm like, go back and read what I said because I'm not saying what you said I said. And then later on, they claim they were like, oh, well, I was coming to apologize. And then I see that you actually did say this. I was like, yeah, I actually did say this. That was hours after you said that I said what I didn't say at the time. So like, you know, you're not going to get me right there. Like, I, I don't have a problem with you disagreeing with me. I, I don't have, we're not going to agree on everything, but um, as long as I can help it, you're not going to lie about me. As long as I can help it, you're, you're, you're not going to use me as a prop to, to paint whatever. Because yeah, there, there, there'll be plenty of opportunities where you can hold my words up and say, wow, Trey believes this. Absolutely. Don't put those words in my mouth. Give me a chance to, to define myself because a lot of times, um, and, and self-definition is really a part of it for me, but a lot of times when we see Jesus get caught up in those honor contests it's because people have assumed that he was married to the idea of appearing a certain way, right? So there's this idea of what a model uh, Jewish-Palestinian man who was faithful to the law and the prophets looked like and carried themselves like in that time. And that's what they would try to ship Jesus up with. And he was like, look, man, whatever program y'all on is y'all business. But that's not what I said. Here's what I'm on. You know, um, and, and for me, that's that's what it means when I, I still call myself a Christian, even though a lot of Christians get on my nerves. But I still call myself a Christian because I try to be shaped by the model that Jesus set for us. And that's not always assuming that everybody is operating with with, with uh, good intentions when it when it comes to dialogue and stuff. Sometimes it's being able to to spot when somebody is trying to to use you as fodder for something, which that's their prerogative. But you're not going to do it in my face. Like, no, we're not we're not doing that. Um, because freedom is not a zero sum game, right? So your freedom to to say what you want to say and then present me how you want to can't come at my expense. My, my freedom to, to define who I am and to define what I believe and in whom I believe, uh, that, that has to be able to coexist with, with whatever, whatever idea of freedom you're pushing. So a lot of times um, what I do, I don't want to call it performative, but I'm always thinking in the back of my mind, like what lesson would my children learn from me conducting myself in this way? Mm. And I want to raise children who are comfortable advocating for themselves, advocating for their beliefs, advocating for others without fear of how others might receive or portray them, right? And it's not to say that that, that confidence is devoid of any sense of morality, but it, it is to say that like, no, there are going to be people who do not have your best interest in mind, who, who are determined to present you a certain way because you disagree with them on some things. But, um, 
my goal is, is to create a world for my children and by extension, everyone else where no, like I, I can be strong on this without disrespecting you. Like you might feel offended at times, but I, but I can be strong here uh, because I'm allowed to believe just as much as you're allowed to believe, you know? Yeah. You shouldn't yeah. feel like, I don't think you should, I mean, it's not performative in, in my opinion. It, yeah. it very well could be called modeling, which is I think what we yeah. should be doing. You know, when yeah. I, it's a much better word. Yeah. yeah. When I teach my kids something, you know, well, when they were younger and now like, but I would show them how to do it. You yeah. would say like, watch me and then you try. Right. You know? Yeah. And people watch, I mean, learn through watching other people try things. You know, yeah. I don't have to touch every hot burner out there. <laughs> Some people never have touched a hot burner but they understand because their brother or sister touched the hot burner. Yeah. Yeah. And that, and that's really it for me because uh, like what, what, what makes a lot of people uncomfortable is um, that for every encouragement, for every uh, nice uh, uh, thing I put out into, into the atmosphere, like I'll be letting jokes on. And some of those jokes seem like they come at other people's expense, but for the most part, I don't, I don't want to say like, I'm perfect. Like every now and then I might slip up and, and, and I'm always open to rebuke. I've, I've apologized publicly because I believe that like public disrespect, public failure requires public accountability, but I don't seek out people to make feel bad. Like I don't, I don't do that at all. There are times because my nap, because I'm, I'm, I'm a black kid who grew up in, in, in black areas. Like you go to the cafeteria, people are just, ranking on each other like they're making fun of it that, that, that is the context in which i grew up right so it's times where if you come at me a certain way like look i'm not going to attack your character the way you try to do mine i'm just gonna laugh and this is just how it's gonna look and because i, I grew up in community around this other people are going to laugh with me so <laughs> your, your choices are we can we could do this the right way or, or, or we could do this another way and and i'm gonna i'm gonna react how i react and it sounds immature when I say it sometimes like that, but I do that because I am aware of the culture that says that, look, I'm going to challenge your honor in this way, right? And the idea that that is the only right way to conduct ourselves in public, like I don't, I don't ascribe to that. So I bring my culture to the table, like, okay, you want to challenge me in that way? I will respond in this way. And then of course there come the accusations like, oh, that's an ad hominem. You don't want, you don't want to address what I'm actually saying. I'm like, you're right. Cause what you're saying is silly. And I don't, I don't have the time, the, the, the energy to do it. Like, that's not going to be fun for me. That's not going to be enlightening for anybody. Like everybody who's watching this has already made up their mind about this. So this is what I'm going to do instead. I'm going to make fun of not only the corny stuff you said, but the way you did it, like the way you yeah. did it was corny. And, 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 and that's where it comes, because at the end of the day, right, it, it sounds immature and, it, and, it, and it's funny and all that stuff, but think about how Jesus reacted when stuff like that happens. People would come to him and he'd be like, look, yeah, he would even tell people like, yo, what, what they telling you, listen to that because they're the interpreters of the law. But what they doing is goofy. Like, don't do that. Like, if, if you follow their way, you they're going to make you twice the, the, the child of hell as they are. Like, don't do that. Um, And that's something that I try to embody in it. And it makes some people feel a certain way. And I'm okay with that because I have this sneaky suspicion that everybody ain't like Jesus neither. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. Well, and when I think that uh, I, even going back to like when, when Jesus is like, hey, wh who's on who's on the coin? 
whose inscriptions on the coin, yeah. right? He's kind of he's kind of going the same that you're talking, you know, and is there's some obvious things here that like you don't need to ask me. Like there's some obvious things here that you can take away from this situation and this question and this this experience. Like, but if we're yeah. gonna talk about it, then like who's whose inscriptions on the coin? All right, give give the Caesars what is Caesars, because obviously he put his image on the coin like that's his i guess you know and so it's kind of that like um, i love that particular reference like and it's so much because like a lot of times we were we we miss the fullness of what jesus was doing right there like jesus really pulled a card right there because they tried to trip him up and he's like okay show me a roman coin they pulled one out that means they had a roman coin which is not something that everybody would have had at the time like you, you had to be in a certain position to do that so the question that then comes into some people's mind is like, wait, how do they have Roman coins? And then you have to think about the fact that the reason um, that that even paying taxes to Caesar would have been in question is because there was so much of uh, so much brokering going on between the Jerusalem Temple establishment and Caesar and the Roman Empire that like, OK, the only reason you're trying to trip me up right now is because you because your forefathers, because your establishment, because this very temple we're standing in right now has sold us up the river to Caesar. Like y'all are in bed with Caesar. So, so you want to play like that, you give Caesar, you give your boss's money back, but don't forget about the guys you claim to represent. Don't forget about whose temple you claim to be working in. Don't, don't forget none of that stuff. And Jesus pulls a card right there because he's like, okay, okay, I see, I see what you guys are doing. Um, but let me, let me, here's the realty. Like the, the only reason we're looking at this is because of y'all. So the very same type of you, you're trying to make it seem like, oh, either I'm a rebel or I'm a traitor to my people. Um, no, like that you're describing yourself right now. Yeah. <laughs> you got a Roman coin. I don't. I had to go to the lake for mine, you know? And mm. oh, that's so good. I had I'd never heard that. And uh that's just insightful, you know. Yeah, bro. And, and that's why like a lot of the, the stuff I do with translation is, is is so like interesting to me because a lot of it is okay, what how can I make this connect more to to, to an experience I can actually relate with, right? Um, and when you recognize that a lot of the New Testament, actually the Old Testament to a, to a large extent, to a different uh, empire at least, but a lot of it, the New Testament is the story of a people under the oppression of empire, right? Um, and as a black man in the United States, I can relate to a lot of that, <laughs> you know? Um, yeah. So so for me, it's like, okay, like who who would these people be? Like if you look, uh, just trying to draw connections there. And that's not to like read myself into the story. It's to make it make more sense to me. And what you have there when it's like, okay, should we pay taxes or whatever? They trying to find out who the Uncle Tom is and, and, and where, where I'm from, the, the language we would use. Like, okay, which one of y'all is right? Who's in bed with the master? Who's in bed with the man? And, 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 and they trying to, Ask Jesus a question is either going to make him come across as an Uncle Tom or somebody the state needs to be worried about. Jesus says, actually, <laughs> uh, go, go ahead, show me your wallet if you want to play that game. You know, um, and and that's, that's it's liberated because a lot of times we're taught in Sunday school and all in church about this Jesus who's all peaceful and and cuddly and everything. And yeah, Jesus is loving. Um, but that don't mean we would have thought that everything he did was lovely. Yeah. Depending on where you said it. Yeah. Yeah. One of my uh, one of my favorite stories about uh, King Solomon is when, you know, the, the two mothers, right, come yeah. they're claiming this kid and Solomon goes, fine, cut the kid in half. And like, you know, you take half, you take half. And the, the mother, right, like in his wisdom, he knows that 
hey, no, actually, you just you have the kid. Like it's better if he's if he's alive than if he's dead. Like I need my my son to live, right? Yeah. And uh, and just that idea of like, okay, if we're gonna play this and like someone's gonna be deceitful, like let's let's go. Like, and it's this thing of even even in as you're explaining, right? Jesus doesn't necessarily like he's not saying pull out your wallet because I want to see it. What he's saying is like we're gonna go deep into this like what we're trying to to make this reality right or make yeah. this this thing be let's dive in like you want to go there like let's go there uh it might get a little ridiculous you know it might get a little out there and you you're but you're going to be caught off guard because again like i'm not trying to you know jesus i'm not trying to just play the game but if we're going to play the game like let's play it um, yeah. And he's just going to pull the chess move, right? Like it, it becomes going from let's just play the, the cheap checker game to like, no, let's play. And let's like all the yeah. way out, you know? Like that, that story with, with Jesus and the coin is so dope because at the end it was like nobody asked Jesus no more questions after that. And we keep seeing it happen, right? Like the woman called in the act of adultery, people walked away. Like when Jesus pulled the moves, people stopped messing with him. They're like, oh, I don't want that type of smoke. Like I don't. <laughs> this man right. knows too much. <laughs> like, right. Uh, and at the end of the day, like there's something liberating about that. There's there, there's something, if that is that is the, the, the Jesus, if that is the Christ that we choose to embody, then no, we're not always going to be these, these passive kumbaya people. All right. Um, and even just like you brought up the, the Solomon story with, with the with the cutting the baby and half thing, that is sadistic, right? <laughs> and it says the size Solomon was the, the wisest person who ever lived. But think about what it would have taken. Matter of fact, Solomon dies. His son is Rehoboam. Is that, is that who places Solomon in the southern uh, kingdom of Judah? I want to say it's Rehoboam. I could be mistaken. Um, whichever, whichever king it was, right? Uh it says that when he came to, to the kingship, and that's when the kingdom splits, because uh, people were like, yo, good, you in charge. Um, can we ask you a favor? Your daddy was pretty harsh. Um, can we, can can you be a little nicer than that? And he goes and consults his advisors, and the old one's like, yeah, your dad was tripping a little bit. So Solomon was a wild boy. Maybe you should let him up. And then it says his young advisors was like, nah, man, you tell him that, that, uh, Yo, yo, pinky is thicker than your dad's wee wee, which is what like it said. It said uh, thicker than my father's leg or whatever. My, my father's thigh. That was a euphemism, as best I understand it. Um, and and he says the going like, nah, you you think my dad was bad? You ain't seen nothing yet. And it says that he went even like in a, in a whole nother direction. That's what split the kingdom, the United Kingdom. But what that tells me is that this man that the Bible describes as the wisest man who ever lived was a tough person to deal with. That he was totalitarian in some sense that he did that he was so like a lot of it for me is wrestling with the fullness of the bible in the sense that we introduce the bible to children at a very young age which requires us to kind of make it g-rated pg-rated like we got to make stuff seem nice but like possible when i was a child i had the things of a child when you're growing up no let's let's wrestle with what's actually here the 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 person that was a man after God's own heart once impregnated somebody else's wife and had them murdered, impregnated her against her will from the, the story we've had. The person that the Bible describes as the wisest man who ever lived was a totalitarian, right? The person described as the savior of the world was executed as a rebel and a criminal in the most excruciating way imaginable. And for me, it makes a lot more sense when I'm able to wrestle with the wrestle with the tension of the Bible as opposed to reading it like some Disney fairy tale. Yeah. Yeah. That's good. So 
Talking about tension, there are a lot of Christians out there right now who they truly want diverse community. They want to understand, they want to connect with people from other cultures, other backgrounds than their own. But there are several challenges to that. And, you know, when we talk about social media, there's the algorithm and the self-identifying behaviors. Those work to funnel us into groups of people. Um, There's also the inclination for people looking for this kind of community to throw themselves at people and really demand a depth of community. And that often can feel uncomfortable, unsafe, or even untrustworthy. Uh, Can you talk to us a little bit about your perspective Excuse me. Can you talk to us a little bit about your perspectives uh, and ways that you've seen people approach diverse community that actually hinder what they're trying to accomplish? Yeah. So I'll give uh, a real life example. This isn't digital community we're talking about, but like a, a, somebody I know who pastors. Um, a multiracial church, right? Like the go, the golden yeah. is he, he asked what he was. It's a, it's a black man who pastors a multiracial church. And um, I guess this would have been about three years ago now or so. Uh, he was talking about like, yeah, I don't allow people to wear uh, MAGA hats or Black Lives Matter hats or Black Lives Matter shirts you know, on, on stage in my church. And I was, it was interesting to me because um, if you think about it, those are not really the same thing, right? Like, is communicating different messages from two things. Those are two messages that there's not a whole lot of overlap for people who believe those, but the idea that, okay, what make America great again communicates is somehow equivalent to what the phrase, I don't, I don't care what you think about the organization, but the phrase Black Lives Matter communicates, um, that those have made equivalent suggests that there is a tit for tat exchange um, going on in that church where, okay, this is your grievance. This is my grievance, right? Um, when now it's just the oppression Olympics, right? And and we have to sit there and, okay, well, you get one, I get one. And when we want diverse community and feel like the price to pay is that every grievance has to become equal for us to do that, um, you can have diverse community, but you can't have authentic community, right? Like you can't have... Let me be more specific. You can't have prophetically authentic community. And when I say prophetically, I mean like in terms of truth telling and, and, and being upfront about certain things. Because, okay, we can get people all sorts of different walks of life, different ethnicities, different socioeconomic classes, different nationalities, different races, different theological traditions, and all that stuff. But until each of those people is able to share who they are in fullness, then your community is always going to be lacking something. And we saw that happen with um, the election of Barack Obama in 2008 and to a much greater degree, the election of Donald Trump in 2016, because then all of a sudden when people's insecurities or not, not just insecurities, when people's worries, fears, anxieties are peaked, your community start to crumble. Like we saw an exodus of a lot of black people in multi-church spaces because like, oh, wait, this is how y'all felt the whole time, which tells me that genuine community wasn't happening. Because of those genuine community, you should have been able to anticipate how this is going to affect your brother, how this is going to affect your sister, right? Like, it tells me that you weren't sharing in everything, you were sharing in what made you comfortable. And now what has made me uncomfortable, I don't feel comfortable bringing up because you've already let me know how you feel. So all of that to say, like, can I think of how that actually hinders? Yeah, um, we can't have community until I can share the unattractive parts of myself with you. Until you can sit with me and lament. Until you can sit with me in my sorrow, 
uh, until you can sit with me in my bitter places. Um, because there's times when, like, I'm not perfect. I, I, I carry prejudices just like anybody else. Um, part of the work in the Holy Spirit in me is, is helping me to move past and, and act beyond whatever prejudices I hold. But we're not a community until I can share my prejudices with you. Like, yo, bro, this is what I thought. This is what I had to overcome to even come and sit at this table with you. And we can have honest dialogue about that. Like I would much, I respect people who come and you sit at the table and be like, yo, when I saw you, I, I didn't think, I didn't think you knew all this. I didn't, I didn't think you were like that. Like, yeah, acknowledge that. That, that tells me that you're that, okay, now what we have is authentic because you can tell me what you had to overcome to have this conversation with you. And, and I can share what, what, what it took me to overcome to have that conversation with you. And that's how we learn and that's how we grow. But if we're not doing that, then everything we're doing is for show. That's for play play, you know? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I um, I think about like there there have been people like there was a time in my life where I was like the widest open book ever. Like I would let anybody read any page. You know, I'm telling you all my stories and all my thoughts and all my hurts and everything. And like I sort of figured out at some point, like people don't always respect your pages. You know, they'll they'll color on them and pull them out and all of a sudden you're like what did you do that was my that was my story and there was a time where I had some big hurts in my life and there were people who I knew would genuinely want to pray with me or genuinely want to comfort me but there had been this disconnect they weren't they weren't the closest people to me and I remember thinking you know if you haven't ever laughed with me I'm not I'm not ready to, for you to cry with me. Like if, mm. if we haven't, if we don't have this base of like just commonalities and like shared experiences and you haven't, yeah. you haven't taken the time to just interact with me like a human. I don't want to interact with you as the, as your, I don't know what the word I'm looking for is, but like your, your project basically, Yeah. you know? I think about number of of critiques and a number of thoughts like I've seen people exchanged in the in the past year about diversity. And so there there were people who maybe a year, year and a half ago were reading a lot and listening to a lot. And they would say, you know, I'm I'm listening and learning. And someone said, you know, listening and learning might become the next thoughts and prayers. You know, like what are you what are you listening and learning for? And yeah. um and then the people who were genuinely listening and learning were asking, now what? Like, what do I do now? And there is, there is, I mean, it for people who have come in and who really do have a heart for diversity, but are new to the whole thing, like there can be fix-it mentalities where it's like, oh, well, now that I'm here, I'll take care of it. If only everybody had just invited me to this conversation earlier, I could have find, found the uh found the solution and it's a good thing I'm here. Just someone point me to what I need to fix, yeah. you know? And that's, that's probably not helpful. And right. there's also like, how many times have people listened and learned and then left, you know? Yeah. Like, so when you show up and you say like, I've, like, I'm here to do the thing. It's like, well, show me you're here to do the thing. You were here to do the thing in 2020. I want to see if you're here to do the thing in 2024. You know, I have that heart. I have that care, but I also know that like there's times that I think, 
you know, they'll say, well, this is a marathon, not a sprint. I hear that phrase. This is a marathon, not a sprint. And like, it's, it's something that I have cared about for a, for a long time, but not in the, like, there's a difference between like running laps in elementary school and running a marathon, Yeah. you know, and if I haven't been in the gym, I can't complain that I can't immediately run a marathon. Right. You know, I think there's, there's ways that social media like there will be people who say, well, I don't have any, I don't have any diverse community around me. My area is like my little town is not very diverse. Um, and so unless I intentionally seek that out, I'm not, it would be very easy for me to isolate with people who look like me and sound like me. Yeah. But social media opens up those avenues and the thing that I am learning is like they, if I walked over to my black neighbor's house and said, hi, it's nice to meet you. I would like to talk about a really deep way that you and I can connect immediately. Uh And also um, let's talk about racial reconciliation. Now you would be like, Hey, hi, um, go away. Yeah, this is a Wendy's. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Ma'am. So I mean, like, I can get in that fix it, that fix it mode, but like I'm trying to relax. Um, just like admitting, like I'm trying to relax and to just like be a human. Yeah. For me, it's it's a it's always a matter of growing where God planted you at, right? So you you <laughs> the thing about social media is that it it does uh, often motivate people to do more than what is necessary right like you don't need to go and record every time you go to the gym and put it in your instagram stories you've been doing the same workout every week for the past three months buddy like it's not interesting right like it's this whole this whole thing that makes everybody feels like they had to be content creators and if you don't have any content to create you just start vomiting words and you you just we want to do a whole lot um and sometimes we're not as faithful or or careful to work on on growing wherever god has planted us um there's been people who reach out to me to try to find out what they can do um somebody said like yeah i live in a really rural area and i don't i don't want to say the state i don't want to i don't want to identify too much and i was like bro like you cool like just 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 live your life if you come across some people who are different than you just don't be jerks to them but you don't have to put on a cape and and fly into compton and and try to fix all of the structural issues going on in there That's, that's not what this is about um you can be a witness to the people around you and everything but here's what i'm gonna tell you you don't gain whatever little knowledge you you gathered since George Floyd was murdered and and then and then come and be the loudest person in the room on the internet when you do encounter diversity right the okay for for whatever curses social media has have reaped upon us and, and our desire for attention and constant uh uh affirmations and, and validation there's also the opportunity to learn from people and be in community with people that we otherwise would have never come across within our entire life like social media is the only reason that you in California, Hector, and you in, in the Shenandoah Valley, Sarah, and then me down here in Miami are able to sit on this Zoom call and record this podcast um, and have this exchange. And 
sometimes that's that's worth celebrating on its own, regardless of what happens afterwards, right? Like I planted the seed, Apollos watered it, but God made it grow. Well, where does God planted you? And sometimes it's a matter of going back and having conversations with people because yeah, there are a lot of structural issues that need to be fixed, but there's also a bit of spiritual formation that needs to happen behind the scenes to accompany whatever structural changes do happen. And I fully believe the structural changes will happen. But as we can see, there's a lesson in the Civil War, right? Civil War concludes, Reconstruction happens in the South. Black people being elected from the South to go represent their states in Congress for the first time in this nation's history. You have a Black governor in the state of Louisiana, Black senators coming out of Mississippi, all this dope stuff. And the whole time, you got all these these Southern white people mad because they lost the war. And the very moment, first opportunity they get uh, when the uh, votes are thrown behind, who was it? Hayes, Russell B. Hayes, I want to say. Um, and then that negotiate happens to, negotiation happens to end Reconstruction because the attitudes had not changed. Um, it introduced a level of terror upon the Black people in the South that they had not seen in, in a couple presidential terms, right? Like, depending on who you ask, eight years, 12 years, to call it the Nadir, right after Reconstruction, it's, it's hell. It's the birth of Jim Crow um, in the South. Because while the structural changes happened, the attitudes had not changed. And there has to be some balance, right? So sometimes we don't need to focus on, okay, what can I do in terms of this? Sometimes it's a matter, okay, who can you have a conversation with? Who can you be challenging? What what comments have been made around you um, that you know now, that now, now you know better? This is not how we ought to be thinking. And it's not to say you have to change everybody's mind, but sometimes it's a matter of you saying something, anything, right? Like you don't have to go into blow down arguments, but hey, Joe, I heard you say that. No, I don't vibe with that. And Joe might not agree with you. Like, oh, you, you're woke now. Okay, Joe, whatever, have fun, Joe. But now Joe doesn't have as much of an excuse because Joe knows better. And a lot of times we assume because we've been exposed to things and ideas that everybody's been exposed to them. It's not the case. Or that them being exposed to something one time is enough. And I need to be very clear here. There are some people who can be exposed to it from now until the cows come home and it will still be obstinate. And we're not going to win everybody over. But my point in all of this is, okay, can you be faithful to where God has planted you? Because like you said, if you don't live in a place with a whole lot of diversity, you can't have no diverse church. Not in the way that you're talking about it. Sometimes it's going to be a diversity of, of thought and, and age and there's all sorts of diversity. It's not just race and ethnicity, but you can't, you can't have, you can't make something that, that is not there. Like you, certain things, okay, if I take a palm tree from down here in Miami and try to plant it in the Shenandoah Valley, it's not going to go the way I want it to. You have to be faithful to where God has planted you. Come on. Um, and, and sometimes it's a matter of doing this job here, but a different job over here. Sometimes it's a matter of fighting for structural change or systemic change or fighting for change within your denomination. Sometimes it's a matter of, of working in community with people to think about how we think about things collectively. Yeah. Well, we have, um, it's always one of, it's one of my favorite questions to ask. We ask it to everybody, but we want to hear about a time that you were genuinely trying to minister, trying to care, trying to trying to be good, and it did not go well on the internet. That that you messed up or you weren't received well, and what you learned from that. Oof. I don't know. Okay. I'm gonna be real. That's, that's tough for me to answer because I, I can't really think of a particular episode. Like most of the time it goes well for me because I don't ever 
claim that things are going to turn out right, right? Like, because I'm usually pretty quick, if we are to accept that David, the man who who assaulted, who, who may have raped Bathsheba and then murdered her husband, if we were to accept that that is a man after God's own heart, the only thing that we can, or the thing that I take from that is that, okay, rushing to repent, acknowledge that I've wronged somebody and trying to make that right. If, if that's what being after God's heart looks like, then that's what I try to embody in public. So there's times when people be like, yo, Trey on I'm like, yo, you know what? I see, I see that. Even if that's not what I meant, even if I didn't mean to hurt you, I see how I've inflicted harm and I try to do that. And even in trying to embody that, um, usually, like, yeah, even if it's not, it, it didn't get the reaction, you know, the, the reaction or whatever, or the participation, the buying that I had originally hoped. Um, I still see growth and community happening, even in that, you know. Um, so it, it's hard for me. I guess the harder parts for me would be okay. Let's take recently um, a John Piper article dropped, or an article about John Piper and a question that he had taken in one of his forums um, from somebody regarding married couples participating in BDSM and role play and stuff like that, right? Um, and my my simple reply, which I thought was was fair and generous and everything, was like two things can be true. Number one, if one spouse is trying to make another spouse do something that they are uncomfortable with, you are tripping. Like that's wrong. Enthusiastic participation, consent, assent, all that stuff is is uh is is critical but in, in, in those marital relations, whatever, right? The second thing I said was if you let John Piper in your bedroom, you tripping. Okay. Um, most people or a lot of people were like, yeah, that's fine. And then one person who has a sizable following or whatever is like, oh, I don't get this criticism. This basic Christian morality and stuff like that. And and um with a situation, I'm like, bro, that's not actually what I said. Like, I'm not saying what you said. I did I, I happen to agree with what you think I said, but I didn't say that right there. What I was doing is number one, encouraging people like, yo, like we cannot coerce our spouses into doing things just because we think they will make us happy something that we can all agree on for the most part. And number two, like some of these things, we don't need to be asking our pastors. Like, I don't, I would hope people don't come to me asking what acts they could partake in in their bedroom. That's, that's between, do both of y'all want to do it? Then leave me alone. If both of y'all don't want to do it, then don't do it. Uh, and that's where I was coming from. But from this, like, comes this whole situation where where people want to start questioning your your Christian orthodoxy, which I'm, I'm used to because I'm, I'm uh. I don't present like most people expect the pastor present. I understand that. That's cool. But then some of it starts to seem kind of personal, right? Um, and that doesn't bother me because you don't know me. You know what I'm saying? Like you, you don't. I made myself so easy to love. Um, so <laughs> so stuff like that. Um, sometimes there, there are times when that gets a little exhausting and having to not only defend my credentials or my qualifications, whatever those may be, because I, I don't, I don't wave in nobody's faces, but I, I got the degrees. You know, I graduated with my MD summa cum laude. You understand? Like, like that stuff is there, but Flex. I don't feel the need to, to, I don't, I don't feel the need to wave that in anybody's face, but it goes beyond it. Sometimes like I have to defend my humanity in front of some people. I'm like, yo, get lost. That That's where it gets exhausting for me because um, I try as best I can to embody community among people who, we, we don't really have that much in common, except that we believe in some good out there in the world, that we believe in, in a good God. Some people, I'm in community with some people who don't believe in God uh, because I, my beliefs said that God still made them 
in the image of God and that they are beloved of God, even if they don't believe in God, you know? Um, but, but to, to have people who are so determined, um, to, um, some people just don't want to be seen agreeing with me. And, 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 um, that's cool. You don't, you don't have to, but like, I'd rather you do it from, a distance, like, <laughs> you know, we, we chilling over here, you know, that's it. That's good, man. Well, uh, the other side of that question is, is something that we intentionally want to end on is, can you just tell us a, a time where, where it actually has gone really well? Um, and how you like just celebrate, um, just a time that, that this diversity or ministering online, um, wherever that's from new translation, just your Twitter interaction or from the three black men podcast, like just tell us about some times that it's gone well. Yeah. I mean, the obvious example would be three black men, which me, Sam and Rob uh, met on Twitter. Um, me and Sam have since met a person. Neither one of us have met Rob in person yet, but like mm -hmm. uh, we have a genuine friendship, like, FaceTime calls and all that stuff that started as us doing those FaceTime calls. I'm like, yo, maybe we should start a podcast. And we did that. And that is actually a community around it. Like we got a Patreon community and people follow us. And that's dope. Like people will hit us up like, yo, this feels like church to me. And that, that, that in and itself is amazing. One of my favorite digital ministry stories, if you will, would be um, one time I've told this story. So if, if you go around podcast talking to me, I'm sorry if you've heard this one before, um, but, but uh, it was this time where this thing happens in black Twitter, which is very distinct from Christian Twitter. <laughs> this thing happens every now and then when people just start uh, like, what does it look like I do for a living? And they'll post a picture of themselves and people respond. And it's usually just roasting each other. Like it's usually just roasting. And I did that one day and I forgot that at the time, like I've been discovered by Christian Twitter. So I had a foot in both Twitters. I was in black Twitter and Christian Twitter at the same time. So I did it and then like, Christian Twitter started responding as opposed to black Twitter and they, and they was posting pictures and I got nervous. I was like, oh buddy, I don't think you know if you, I don't know if you know what you signed up for, but I did it. I started like roasting people. It was white people. Like, um, and then suddenly like I realized that people just wanted to feel seen and, and feel like they belong to something. And so I did it the first time I did it for literally, it was like 12 hours, just nonstop. I'm sitting there just, just roasting people. And I did it because a lot of people like, Trey, why do you spend so much time on Twitter? I genuinely view most of the stuff I do on Twitter as ministry. It is an extension of who I am in some respects. Like, I'm gonna be all right, Twitter gets shut down. I can live without Twitter. But there are people who, especially during this pandemic, they've been cut off from so many of their like normal interactions with people. Some people want to feel seen and belong. So like the fact that in my off time, my, my, my dad, downtime whatever i was just sitting there roasting people how people just lining up and nobody was hurt or harmed and people felt love like people started hitting my cash app my venmo you understand because they said they're like oh i've been blessed by this and knowing all of the different ways that community can be done like i don't have to stand in a pulpit to minister to somebody um and and and, and that was just cool and it was, it was not only just a fun time but it was affirmation of the fact that um all of who I am has been redeemed by God, including the parts that used to get me in trouble back in school. You know, like God can use that to bless somebody. So that, that was dope for me and just um, a moment of authenticity that brought smiles to a whole lot of people's faces, and uh, including mine. That's good. So you got any other questions? 
I think I'm set. Awesome. Well, hey, thank you so much, uh, Trey, just for, for sitting with us and honestly for just standing in the pocket pulpit. Well, um, I just, I just respect the, the way that you engage. And I love just what you just said there of like to view social media engagement, your time on social media as a place of ministry and what that does for how you engage. That's what this is all about. And thank you so much just for, for your example, your modeling, and just for sharing your thoughts today. Um, hey, where, man. where can you, Oh, go ahead. No, I was going to say thank you. Thank y'all for having me. That's it. Yeah. yeah. It's good to have you, man. Can you just uh, quickly share where can people find you? Uh, where do you want people to find you uh, online? Yeah, I'm on uh, Twitter, Instagram, TikTok at Pastor Trey 05. That's Pastor Trey 05, like the area code 305, but it's my name, Trey, Pastor Trey 05. Yeah, um, you can find me pretty much everywhere there. You can find uh, Three Black Men podcast, wherever you get your podcast, Three Black Men, Theology, Culture, and the World Around Us. You can find the New Living Translation wherever you get your podcast. Uh, you want to support either of those projects financially, you can do that at patreon.com slash three black men spelled out. And yeah, that, that's, that's, that's where y'all can find me at, man. Oh, that cat tired. That was a big young. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> he's, a, he's a good kid cat. Oh, yeah. But he likes, he always comes on the podcast. He's here. You know, they can't. Hey, I ain't got no problem with him, man. It, it seemed like a cool cat to me. That's it. <laughs>